Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo and welcome to Primetime. Protests over the police killing of Dante Wright have stretched into a sixth night in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. And now there are also protests tonight in Chicago, echoing the laments of those on the streets of Minnesota about a life taken too soon. This time, it was a police shooting that happened last month involving 13-year-old Adam Toledo. Body cam video of his killing was released yesterday, hence the protests now. In the video, he appears to comply with the officer who is yelling at him after chasing him down an alley to drop, drop his guns, show his hands. And as he does that, the officer shoots him. The question now is, was the officer justified in believing the suspect may still have the weapon in that split second decision? If nothing else, this country is finally united. We have all had it. There's just too much pain, too much hurt. We are all frustrated. We are all exhausted by the same. From fears of the vaccine to fears to the victims of police, shootings, mass shootings, mass refusal to mask up, all the BS politics pandering to the weakest among us. The tunnel just gets longer. We're at the point where even the sharpest eyes can barely see a glint of light in the darkness. Forget about whoever you think is them for just a moment. Take the time to consider if there is anything resembling an us anymore. Does anyone see America the way you want her to be? Do any of you see a people with a purpose that resembles anything like the dream? You got to ask yourself that. Because otherwise, what the hell is it all about? What are we doing here? Why are you watching? Why are you doing anything? Why watch anything? Why care about anything? What is your why? What matters? The FedEx tragedy, sure, I could take you all through it tonight. It's the 45th mass shooting in this country in a month. Will change your opinion? Will make you feel a need for something? Yes, if you're one of the family members or loved ones of the eight people who died, or people who died in the other 45 mass shootings, the number will never be enough. The number of dead will never be enough. This time, this gunman killed eight, injured at least seven more, took his own life. His mother warned the feds about him last year. They took it seriously. They heard her say he might try to commit suicide by cop. What more of a red flag do you need? They went, they took a shotgun of his, but they couldn't find a criminal violation. You don't punish thought, not yet. The laws and the system are not set up to help someone like this. And you know that is the exact person that we need to help before they hurt. And you know that the system doesn't do it because the system worked. But it didn't. Because it's not enough. This comes on the heel of a mass shooting at a 
cabinet making company in Texas, a supermarket in Boulder, a spa shooting in Atlanta. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. These happen everywhere, all the time. And you know that access to guns by the wrong people has a role. And no, I cannot tell you the law that would have stopped this shooting. But I can tell you this. President after president has been forced to address the bloodshed. Republican, Democrat, whatever they are these days. They've all recognized the need to do more than just pray. The majority of those who died today were children. And we're going to have to come together and take meaningful action to prevent more tragedies like this. No child, no teacher should ever be in danger in an American school. It is not enough to simply take actions that make us feel like we are making a difference. We must actually make that difference. The Congress has to step up and act. The Senate has to act. It's a national embarrassment and must come to an end. Who in God's name needs a weapon that can hold 100 rounds or 40 rounds or 20 rounds? It's just wrong. And I'm not going to give up till it's done. Then he won't give up, but it won't get done. Because all you have is prayer. I'm one of those people who said prayer is not enough. It's all we have. Nothing else will get done. And I'm not some cynic. I, I wouldn't do this job if I were. This job is hard. It makes life suck on a lot of levels. But it matters because the good fight matters. And making ourselves safer is the good fight. Protecting the dream, expanding the dream, that is the fight. That is the country. That is our why. But we're not letting it happen. The NRA exposed as a sham. But it hasn't changed the sham that any change, any law, is going to end the liberty of the Second Amendment. Well, that's still alive and well. Even after Vegas in 2017 stood out there in that cold morning after, people crying all over me, 60 dead, so many injured that the blood froze freely as sin on the strip. And remember, I think it's uh, premature to be discussing legislative solutions, if there are any. There's no measure on the agenda in the remaining weeks of this session of Congress. 45 shootings, dead all over the place, people crying in the streets. There's nothing that would pass anyway. We refuse to address the violence. We refuse to address the shootings and the violence as a figurative disease. This is a disease. Why would we address that? We refuse to face a real disease. We have a real pandemic. Stalling our civilization. We are the only civilized nation whose leaders actively try to promote not doing what the science says. Cancun Cruz. He says, I'm done wearing masks in the Capitol. At this point, I've been vaccinated. Everyone working in the Senate has been vaccinated. He knows that's not the science. The guy went to Harvard. Not everyone in the Senate has been vaccinated and he knows it. Staff, reporters covering him, he knows. Even his boys, fellow senators, Rand Paul and Ron Johnson. You know why they aren't vaccinated? I'm not getting it. Not telling me what to do. Close to 40% of your party 
now expresses hesitancy. I wonder why. Here's a hint. You don't think Americans' liberties have been threatened the last year, Dr. Fauci? They've been assaulted. Their liberties have. I don't look at this as a liberty thing, Congressman Jordan. Well, that's obvious. As a public health thing. 566,000 dead in this country, all from the pandemic. I don't even believe the number, by the way. I don't. I guarantee you there are people who died that were wrote off as not COVID, that it was something else. Jordan's decided he's had enough. Wants to pretend that I just want to get my liberty back, man. And everything else will be fine. Really, when that type of behavior is exactly what has us in the position. He knows it makes no sense. He's just banking on you, not giving a damn. How many more? Die of the pandemic, dying from police shootings, George Floyd, Dante Wright. I wonder if you'll remember their names six months from today, because they'll be replaced by so many others. You're here, people. What are you going to do when you see these shootings? You know what you're going to do. That George Floyd. Did you hear about him? That Dante Wright. Did you hear about him? That 13-year-old Adam. You know he was a gangbanger. Why do that? Because... You want to make the problem them. Takes the onus off the idea that you're wrong about policing not needing to change. Forget that police are trained to deal with non-compliance with force that is not lethal. Hey, comply or die. And you know what the answer is? You really do. You don't like it. I don't like it. It scares me. Shootings, gun laws, access to weapons. Oh, you, I know when they'll change. Your kids start getting killed. White people's kids start getting killed. Smoking that doobie that's actually legal probably in your state now, but they don't know what it was. And then the kid runs and the pop, 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 pop. Cop was justified. Why'd you run? Oh, he had a baseball game tonight. Oh, the white kid. Oh, big family. That house over there. Those start piling up. What is going on with these police? Oh, what? Maybe we shouldn't even have police. That kind of mania, that kind of madness, that'll be you. That'll be the majority because it's your people. See, now black people start getting all guns, forming militias, protect themselves. Can't trust deep state. Woo-hoo. You'll see a wave of change in access and accountability. We saw it in the 60s. That's when it changes because that's when it's you. My job is to show you in them because they're before the grace. And the grace is forgiveness that none of us deserve for the blessings that we're wasting in this country. That is our reality. And the reality is clear and the state of play is unchanging. And that is not a recipe for any type of longevity. And what do we do here? What do I do here? I get lost in the next, the next name, the next iteration. The new in news dominates because you get bored. I've heard enough. I've heard enough. I cared about George Floyd. It was wrong. But I've had it with the trials too long. Just let me know when they have a verdict. 
We pretend that we're not just seeing the same lying and lack of leading and bleeding and death and pain. New names, new faces, new places. Same problems. You know it. I know it. I know that you know. The testing, the voting, the vaccines, the dying, the shooting, the drugs, the suicide, the teaching, the testing of education, all of it. It all hits the poor and the poor of color worst. And we know it. And we've always known it. I remember my father preaching about this when my teeth were two inches apart. And I was a fat kid waiting to eat on the steps of my house while he was talking to people that he was asking to vote for him in one of the elections that he lost, like five, six in a row. Us and them, us and them. There's never a solution that doesn't begin with we. We the people, they started it. Every copy you see of the document blows those letters up. Why? Because that's all we have is the interconnectedness and the interdependence. If you give up on one another, that's it. And it doesn't matter how impressive or resonant or you feel the words to be. Because all you have is prayer. All you have is hope. That at some point, something makes some iteration or generation of us realize that the only solution is not less, but more. More people, more enabled to do more with talent, to make more pie for all of us. That is the only way that this country ever approaches what she is supposed to be. And the only question for us is, what will it take to get there? And for that, I have better minds. I have Van Jones and I have Michael Smirkanish. Now, these two men are mentors to me in different ways. Michael has got a great mind for understanding the simple and the complex. He did it today on his show about how, you know, they're stopping the vaccine because you've had less than one in a million deaths. Shutting it down, studying it. We've got to be safe. You get eight people dead at the FedEx factory. They don't even take a breath in terms of what to do in government. And Van is the manifestation of hope for America. He believes, he believes, and I need them both because I don't share their sentiments on either. So we'll start with the head and we'll go to the heart. Michael, the logic is pellucid. It is clear and obvious. Eight people die at the FedEx, not even a yawn. They had to argue with me to include it in the top of the show tonight because I said, well, who, where is it? It's not, where, where is, where's anybody talking about it? But the vaccine, Seven out of seven million. Shut it down. We got to think of a better way. How do you explain it? I thought your commentary was brilliant and depressing. And you're right. I sent out a tweet today and I said, you know, six individuals out of seven million who had the J&J shot develop complications. We don't know if that's causation or correlation, but we immediately shut down that entire program in the midst of a pandemic. And then comes the news of what transpires in Indianapolis. Eight folks are dead. And I hate to say it, but I buy into your logic. I don't think anything changes. Here's an embarrassing thought. I was driving to work very early this morning, having heard the news and running through my mind. When did this last occur? I couldn't place it. I knew it was Boulder, but I couldn't remember that it was a supermarket. I couldn't remember that 10 had died. When I got to work, I looked up all the other recent incidents. And Chris, I'm a news junkie. 
It's amazing how many of them I'd forgotten. I, I guess what I'm really frightened about is the ease with which we're all now so willing to just move on to the next day's news cycle. And Van, you preach hope, and you're right. Everybody who leads from their heart does. And a marriage of head and heart like yours makes you a very valuable asset to the cause. But at some point, hope can be defined as, as yet undiscovered, disappointment. Because if you don't have a plan and you don't have a way to implement the plan, you could hope all you want. You wind up with a new name and a new face and a new place with the same fate. So how do we do better? Well, I, I think that um, I think you're speaking for a lot of people right now. Uh, I think the level of exasperation, the level of, of just depression, people are really hurt. Um, and you know, people are hurting and uncertain uh, about how we're going to go forward. Um, I do think that we've fallen into a particular kind of a trap that comes from uh, the dimmer switch is going up on some of this stuff. For all we know, there could be fewer of, of some of these shootings and some of these bad things that are going on when it comes to the police, but there's a lot more evidence of it now. So, so we're getting more illumination on the problem and we're not seeing illumination on, on the solution. So I understand that part. But I will say this, this is what I know for sure, I don't have to guess. There, there are a bunch of awful people in the country. There's a lot more awesome people in the country. There's a lot more good people who just don't know what to do, Chris. The, the awful people are screaming and yelling and blocking everything and tweeting and canceling and acting like complete lunatics and they get all the attention. The vast majority of people are good folks in both parties, all races, all faiths. They just don't know what to do yet. They are waiting for some instruction. And what I, what I believe is, it's, it's, what you're going to see is, we're hitting now. You just, <clears throat> I, I've never seen you like this tonight. You are broken. Speaking, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, seriously. You, I, I think we're hitting peak uh, division. I think now, what, once we get past this, this trial, I think you're going to start seeing at the grassroots level a bottom-up movement to restore some stuff. We can't fix stuff in, in, at the federal level. But I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm hearing it everywhere. People are tired of the crap, and they're looking for things to do. It's going to start off small, and it's going to start to grow. It's going to be people coming together, tired of the noise. Uh, but I think you are speaking for millions and millions of people tonight. But anybody who's got a solution at the local level, this is the time to speak up. You can't say it because they'll say you're making a threat. But you know, if there were kids in white neighborhoods getting killed by cops for running away. And yeah, every one of them, you know, look, I don't want to say this. I don't want to wish bad for anybody. I love my kids. They're all that matters to me. They're all that matters to me. And Mike, I know you're the same way, but you know, if it was the people that we know and the places where we live and their kids start getting taken out, one here, one there, one here. Well, they were leaving late that night from that party and they came to break up the party. And those kids ran out and it looked like a gun. It was a bottle. He shot them. Hey, justified, you know, things would change. We start think, seeing gangs of black militias to protect their neighborhoods that have legal firearms. Things would yeah. change. We saw it in the 60s. Van, last word for you and then to Michael. Yeah, look, look, if, if uh, African-Americans start you know, creating militia, all of a sudden we're going to have gun reform just like that. That'd be oh, the, yeah. the, the, quick, the quickest way to get there. They think we're but kidding. Me, you know we're yeah, not but, kidding. No, it, 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 would, it, would, it would happen just like that. That'd be the quickest way to get there. But just let me just point out, you talked about the fact that the vaccine's been shut down. That's the bad news. The good news is we have a vaccine, and mm -hmm. it's a lot faster than people thought. Uh, you talked about the fact that, you know, that we have, uh, you know, these horrific murders that are being shared. 
But the reality is, it's also creating, I think, a big, big demand for some kind of change. Congress hasn't moved, but there's a, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've never seen as much awareness as possible. So right now, in this moment, this, is, this may be the breakdown, but breakthroughs are possible because uh, tomorrow always comes. Michael. If black folks form militias for the first time in our nation's history, we'll begin reconsidering the Second Amendment and the language that pertains to militias. The silver lining in all of this is that I agree with Van. There's more that unites us. There are a lot of folks who are centrist, who are turned off by the profit engineered folks who benefit from fomenting dissent. And if we can take back control of this conversation, maybe, maybe we can see our way out of it. Hmm. More people like you more good ideas, there'll be more progress. The question is, how do I get like guys like you to want to have guys like me beat them like pinatas so you can get into public service on the full scale <laughs> and have me try to destroy your life on a daily basis? No, God forbid, God forbid. Keep doing what you're doing, <coughs> fellas. Thank you uh, for helping me do my job. Thank you for helping my audience. The best for the weekend of both of you, Van Jones and Michael Smirkanish. Thank you. Um, and look, I'll never uh, be a cynic except as Diogenes uh, meant it, kind of looking at society askance. Uh, I do this job because journalism is an act of faith in the future. The day I believe that things can't get better is the day that I hang up all 11 of these ugly suits. Programming note, Smirkanish is starting a special time tomorrow morning. He is a unique commodity in the media. On one level, everybody should be like him, but they're not. He's special. 8 a.m. Eastern here on CNN. Today is 100 days since the attack on our capital. Put that on the list of things that people just don't care about. And on this day, prosecutors secured the first guilty plea by a rioter, a big player, founding member of the Oath Keepers. They ain't a part of the solution. I'll tell you that. What will his cooperation with the government mean for the hundreds of others charged and the former president who inspired the mob? And you hear all that nothing? That's every member of the GOP who isn't saying a damn thing about the worst riot we've seen in modern history. That's the problem. Next. Just between us, I know you care. Watching a show like this on a Friday night, I know you care. I care too. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm just trying you to see which way is up, you know, because we're all drowning right now. And yet there is progress. There's a first in the massive domestic terror investigation that's digging into the attack on the Capitol. Remember, it was an act of terror, right? Just because they were white doesn't mean it's not an act of terror. Just because they're not Muslims. More than 400 people have been charged. But they just had the first flip. His name is John Schaffer. He admits he was one of the first to breach the Capitol and armed with bear spray. Schaffer acknowledged in court that he's a founding member of the Oath Keepers. He's now working with federal investigators. What does that mean? Let's bring in Deputy Assistant Attorney General, who's been invaluable in covering the George Floyd murder trial, Elliot Williams. Good to see you, brother. Hey. Why do I care that this Oath Keeper goon flipped? Uh, well, you know, it means that there's more charges coming. Look, you know, Chris, it's really common to think that the whole point here is to flip and move up the chain to get the next big fish or something like that. But I wouldn't think of it in that way. Think of it. It's one of two things, either a ladder or a jungle gym, right? And either they're trying to go up the ladder or around the jungle gym to charge other people. Think about the hundreds of people that were there 
on the grounds of the Capitol on January 6th that we simply haven't even been identified by the FBI yet. Um, and someone like this, as a founder of the Oath Keepers, can help identify others to, to bring charges there. But your insight goes to not individuals as much as to organizations and loose affiliations that they may have trouble tracking down because a lot of them are new, right? Yep. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. And their connection to the Oath Keepers might be tenuous. The most interesting thing, though, Chris, about uh, this plea deal for him, and folks may not know this, he's not limited to just testifying or identifying people on January 6th. Anybody connected to the Oath Keepers, anybody back home, any unlawful activity that he knows about, he's under an obligation to provide to federal investigators. So they could open, pretty much feds own him at this point, and anything he knows about um, in any capacity is fair game, and he ought to start providing it, um, even if it's not about January 6th and it's just about Oath Keepers or um, any unlawful activity. Hmm. And... What is the hope that this guy being the head of an organization, a lot of people are going to ask for deals, right? This for everybody, this falls into the category of it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, And now they're all going to be begging for deals and asking for organic food. But what does this mean that it's this guy? Yeah, I mean, again, it can mean the the simplest explanation is he might just be the one that they got to first. Now, Mm. he first made himself available to the FBI on January 17th. This isn't somebody who came out of the woodwork the other day, and maybe this is just the person they brought charges about, or he has information on other people that he's continuing to provide. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard for folks to get their heads around the fact that investigations just take a long time to put together. And, you know, even in my hometown right here of the District of Columbia, there are these signs on the street that say, you know, have you seen this person? Mm -hmm. Have you identified this person from January 6th? They still don't know and haven't identified hundreds of people who were there and individuals like this can help uh, finger them, essentially. Elliot Williams, thank you for being one of the helpful people. Appreciate you. Thanks, Chris. All right. So this isn't about creating problems, about fomenting tension where it doesn't exist. It's about identifying the obvious. January 6th was a terror attack. It was an insurrection. You won't hear half the political aisle even talk about that. And that leads us to our next bolo. Be on the lookout, as cops call them. Okay. This QAnon kook, not only are they not going to take her off any committees, not only are they just going to be quiet on her, she just vetoed, vetoed, she just voted against a bill to help cancer patients. Why? Because they've got ideas about cancer there in QAnon. And now she wants to form a caucus. And guess what it's about? And guess who's proud to join her? I'm telling you, the threat is real. I'll show it to you next. BOLO, acronym means be on the lookout. QAnon kook Marjorie Taylor Greene forming a new group for the fringe right called America First Caucus. Punchbowl News obtained a seven-page flyer outlying its nativist platform. That means only for native-born Americans. Describing the U.S. as a nation strengthened by Anglo-Saxon political traditions. Arguing that societal trust and political unity are threatened when foreign citizens are imported en masse into a country. They said this BS about my grandparents when they came from Italy. I'm no Anglo-Saxon. Now we know she's talking about brown immigrants. You know, the ones not from Norway. The document also backs infrastructure projects, but listen to this. If they befit the progeny of European architecture. Several Republican Congress members are already involved, including none other than Congressman Matt Gates, who's still under federal investigation. That's going to be a long story with a long way to go. 
But don't roll your eyes because it's not just the outsiders. Listen. Be happening or what they believe right now is happening is uh, what appears to them is we're replacing national born American, native born Americans per- to permanently transform the political landscape of this very nation. You know, this is a nation of immigrants, right? You know, what's written on the foot of the Statue of Liberty, right? Now, that wasn't some kook. That's a guy you never heard of. Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, just a rank and file Republican spreading an ugly racist theory that native-born white Americans are being purposefully replaced by immigrants as a way to change the culture of the country. Our culture is made up of immigrants. How many of you are here? More than two generations. This is the same toxicity amplified and legitimized over by the FOP on Fox. I know that the left and all the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement, if you suggest that the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots, mm. with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. Let's just say it, that's mm. true. I mean, everyone wants to make a racial issue out of it. Ooh, the, you know, white replacement theory. No, no, no. Whites white supremacists never want to say it's a racial issue. The guy with four names, Tucker Swanson, McNear Carlson, anti-elitist, look up his daddy. You find me something about the guy that is an elitist. Look, white replacement theory is what it sounds like. It's a white supremacist movement. Google it. You can hear their chants for yourself. They will not replace us. Jews, blacks, fill in the blank. Remember, Fox told you in court that guy is not to be seen as credible. They know they are selling you poison for profit. And it led to this, the insurrection, 100 days since, and none the wiser. The very same QAnon kook who empowers them is growing in power. Now, my next guest wants Green gone from Congress yesterday. But you know what the right is going to do? They're going to play the left's own game and say, hey, Congresswoman Jayapal, You're trying to cancel. This is cancel culture. We're victims. Now, how is she going to play that game? How is she going to make change on her side of the ball? Let's talk next. The right is falling down a hole. The QAnon kook has growing influence. So what do you do if you're a Democrat? My next guest signed a resolution last month to expel Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from Congress for her past violent remarks and only made her a victim on the right. What about her First Amendment? They just want to cancel. So now what? Democratic Congresswoman Pramila Jalapal is here now. It is good to see you. Best to you and the family. So here is the difference between your party and their party. Here is the putative leader, Kevin McCarthy, in the House. Put up his tweet, please. Here's what he would say about this person who believes crazy stuff, okay? America's built on the idea that we're all created equal and success is earned through honest, hard work. Okay, their policies don't reflect that. The fact that they don't care about an insurrection doesn't reflect that. The fact that they don't care about the shootings doesn't reflect that, but it's okay. It's not built on identity, race, or religion. True. Although that's all their party is playing at, right? The Republican Party is the party of Lincoln and the party of more opportunity for all Americans, not nativist dog whistles. So that is the best he will do. They are the party of staying in line, which is why they beat you. Matt Gaetz, 
They could investigate him for a million things. His party will not move on him until the DOJ makes a move. I have no problem with due process, but I'm talking about politics. You guys are not like that. You wanted to move on her. You have no success. So what can you do to fight back against the tide that is coming? Well, Chris, you know, I have not tweeted or talked about Marjorie Taylor Greene in more than a month. Um, I came on your show to talk about the refugee cap, about shots in arms, about kids in schools, about getting people into jobs. I am not wasting one minute of time on Marjorie Taylor Greene because what she is doing is disgusting, but it is a reflection of what the Republican Party has become. The fact that not a single Republican was able to vote for the American Rescue Plan that 70 percent of the country supported is a travesty. But that is what the Republican Party has become. So what are we doing about it as Democrats? We're passing a rescue plan that has 76 percent approval across the country. We are getting shots in arms. We are getting kids back in schools. We are helping small businesses. We're going to pass a giant jobs bill to put people back to work. And we are going to make sure that we open our uh, refugee assistance program again, because as as even evangelicals have said, it is the crown jewel of American humanitarianism. And so that's what I've been concerned with today. I don't care about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Mm. If you all on, on TV want to talk about her, that's fine. But that's not my concern. And, and well, that's really the I, fact that Kevin I, McCarthy is not even okay. interested in decrying it is it, that, you know, that's just what the Republican Party is today. I, I'm with you. I'm just saying, not about the party, that's, that's your opinion. What I'm saying is, they're only one of two possibilities. One, I made up that you and other Democrats made a move to get her out of, Cong- uh, out of the House, or I'm telling the truth. And I'm telling the truth. That's why I brought it up. But I'll play on your own footing. I think you guys are being exposed as all, walk, all talk, no walk on immigration. I'll tell you why. The problems have always been there. And we saw that there is no real plan to do better yet. It's early in the administration. Biden's got a ton of things on his plate. But you guys don't have any great plans either. And him saying, uh, I am going to play with the number of people who come in. Wait, no, I'm not. Why? Everybody jumped on him and said, no, 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 you have to let in more. Remember what we said about Trump, that he was limiting access to the dream? Now, why did his first instance say, I'm going to leave it where Trump did? You know why? Because the system is overburdened. Because for all the talk, you didn't give them money for more resources. They don't have the people to process the cases. The rules make no sense. There's no real Central American liaison. You don't have the people doing the job and you don't have a plan to do it better. Your response. It's just not true. I mean, we have a plan and it's being put in place. And, you know, we wrote a a letter to the Biden administration with 69 Democrats that signed it. I led that letter and we gave every single piece of what we need to do, both in the short term and the long term. There's no question that Trump left us with a mess on immigration. You've been reporting on that. We've been fighting it for four years. He's destroyed every legal avenue for immigration. So is it going to take the Biden administration some time to get that all in place? Yes, it is. Is it, are there things that they could do better and faster? Yes, there are. We outline them already. But I wanted to talk about the refugee cap because this is the most bipartisan piece of immigration. My governor in Washington state, a a Republican governor, was the one who allowed Vietnamese refugees to come into Washington state. That has been true across 
the history of this country. Yes. We have had a very important refugee resettlement yes. program that has nothing to do with what's happening on the border, where people mm. are sitting in refugee camps. And Chris, I don't know if you've ever been to a refugee camp. I lived and worked in one, and I can tell you how devastatingly horrible it is. We cannot leave these refugees sitting in these camps for one day more than is right, necessary. But here's the and thing. that's why I hear you. I've been tough on the president. I, I on hear this you. Not tough enough. I don't think he should have changed. Not tough enough. He said in February that he was going to lift the refugee cap. And I believe that he needs to do that right now. Yes. But he was he was not going to play it that way until there was pressure. Why? Because they don't have a fix for the system. And I believe. No, no, no. Congresswoman, I just have to disagree you can, with you, you, can Chris. Say, you can disagree. He, but where's the new plan? Where's the law? Where's the bill? But Where's you, the bill that's in the Senate? But you're talking about two totally different things. You're conflating what's happening at the border with the refugee resettlement program. No, I'm not. The I'm asking you for where. No, I'm not. completely different thing. Listen, I, I appreciate your correction, but I am not doing that. They are two different situations, but they are connected. And the idea that one doesn't influence the other is just not true. And you know that. Not just in funding, but in political leverage. And what I'm saying is, you show me the bill that improves the resettlement program and gives the resources that they need to have people live the way they can and have the connections that they should have. And I will ask why the Senate isn't passing it every day, every day. Chris, the refugee resettlement cap is set by the president. I know, but the whole program is is in disarray. But the bill is about the resources that are in the budget, which the president did send over, that does increase the amount of refugees. And since February, actually since January, since he came in, the agencies have already been ramping up when Trump had cut off the funding and closed it down. We will be funding that program. And frankly, it's always gotten bipartisan support. So and and the president sent over a day one immigration bill and we've passed DACA and we've passed Farmworker Modernization Act in the House. So it's not like we don't have solutions to this. We know what the problem is. But you know what happens, Chris? The Republicans consistently, and and some Democrats, you know, I was an immigration activist for 20 years before coming to Congress, and I called out a former Democratic, several former Democratic presidents for not being real about the fact that we use immigrants as political footballs. And we can't do that again. And we can't do it with the refugee resettlement program. I am with you. I was on the phone with somebody who used to run it not too long ago, today, to get ready for this interview. And... She, they have big problems there. I know you understand that. I'm just saying it is talk. And from you, it is a lust for action. I know that. Not everybody is you, Jayapal. And that's why I'm saying it's on you guys to make things happen in a way that makes you better than the last administration. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's why I have you on. I totally agree with you. That's why I have you on. That's why we passed... The, the most uh, progressive DREAM Act, you know, ever. That's why we passed a farmworker modernization bill. By the way, Chris, those were both bipartisan bills that we passed out of the House. Mm-hmm. Now, we're working on the American Citizenship Act, and I have a number of bills that I'm working on pushing through. We sent a letter with all the specifics of what we think the Biden administration t- should do. Some of them they're already working on. I want to give them some credit for that. But there are other pieces that we need to move along. And frankly, at the end of the day, we need to invest 
in the sending countries because we've yes. got to get at the root causes of migration. Absolutely. Right? But, you, but you have to do it with actual liaisons. It can't just be sending money. It doesn't work. You have to set Correct. up infrastructure there that is co- well, cooperatively controlled. That's what we saw that made a difference uh, when they had a couple of good guys working there, even in the Trump administration, uh, because he made it hard for them because his messaging was so harsh. But just be very clear. I know what I'm talking about. I have you on because I know you're pushing for the right things. But I'm telling you, the White House played with that cap because their interests aren't necessarily aligned in terms of the political insistence on getting things done and their ordering well, that you, they if, see. If, if you saw my, my statement today, uh, it was pretty clear about how I feel about this. That's you. And- That's why you're here, Jayapal. It's not just because I like your name <laughs> and, and it's, I like to be corrected every five minutes. It's because I know you're fighting for something that matters and you have an anti-movement on the other side of the aisle right now that is every bit as robust as yours. That's why I have you on and I wish you well. And you always have a platform here to fight for what this country is supposed to be. OK, thanks, Chris. Good to talk to you. Be well. We'll be right back. Video of watching a 13-year-old turn with his hands in the air and no gun in his hands. He gets shot by police. You're going to have people in the streets. And that's what we have in Chicago tonight. Let's go to Martin Savage. How do you find that place, Martin? It's filled with emotion on the streets tonight. I mean, there were crowds that were out last night, of course, on the day that that video was released. But now that the more and more people have seen it and now that the feelings have set in, I mean, it's just... This crowd has been going by us now for minutes. I mean, so it's, it's thousands and thousands of people. It was thought that there would be maybe a couple hundred people that would show up tonight. It started in Logan Square. We've got a couple of miles since then. And the numbers are just really impressive. And what you hear is, of course, one voice. One voice that is triggered because of the death of a 13-year-old, but is really pent-up voices of people who are upset over what they say are many, many deaths that have occurred here in Chicago at the hands of the Chicago PD. So it's, it's that anger kind of reaching a, a tipping point. And of course, it is just that horrendous video of seeing a 13-year-old boy die in front of your very eyes. And though there are those that will point out and say, well, he had a gun. He didn't have a gun in the minds of many of these people when his hands were raised in the air. They believe that Adam Toledo was only complying with the officer's demand and that he died as a result of it. That is what their opinion is. We've got helicopters flying overhead. Among them are police helicopters. It actually has been a very disciplined crowd, very organized crowd. They even have crowd marshals that are leading the way, directing people down the streets. They have their own bicycle patrols that are running beside the crowd to keep them in line, keep them off the sidewalk. So they're doing their best to keep everyone, keep everyone safe and at the same time keep them in line. It's boisterous. It's loud. And at times it's angry, but for the most part, it has been completely peaceful. There's been no damage. There's been no harm done to anything. The police are carefully watching. You can tell they're only a few blocks away in force ready to move in if need be. But so far, there's been no need. Look now, you can see it's take a knee. It's a moment of reverence. It's paying respect. And that's the way it's been, Chris. Martin, the crowd looks very mixed to me. Uh, is that your observation in terms of seeing yeah. people of different races, different ages? Different ages. Families have come out, come out with their children. So, Good. yes, it is very diverse. It's, 
uh, black members of the community, it's Latino members of the community, right. Native American members of the community. It's Chicagoans in every way represented out on the street tonight. Martin, thank you very much. Uh, you know we'll be in coverage all night, so as things become, uh, I don't have to tell you how to do the job, you're one of the best. Thank you for doing it for us tonight. Uh, thank you, Chris. Yes. You bet. All right. That's Martin Savage in Chicago. We'll be following it. We'll be right back. All right. It is time for the big show, CNN Tonight, with its big star, D. Lemon. People are in the streets. Uh, they were just taking a knee. But you know what I don't like? First of all, I'll tell you what I do like. Let's be positive. I like seeing black and white together. I like seeing old and young. I like seeing constituencies of a community coming together, even if they don't share a common experience. And when they get loud and they yell about the police and how angry they are, nobody ever said that everything you're supposed to say is supposed to be polite and pleasant. And anybody who felt that way lost that leverage after January 6th when they didn't speak up about what happened there. So they're taking the knee, they're polite. When they start yelling about how this was a 13-year-old kid and he turned and there was no gun in his hand, how is that right? Mm -hmm. They have every right to yell and be angry about it. And I would argue if you're not angry, if you're not outraged, it doesn't have the energy that catches the ear of those in power. You know what would be great? Uh, yeah, look, I'd like to see diversity too and people together, black and white or whatever it is. Wouldn't it be great if it was like all middle-aged white guys out there saying this has to stop? Yeah. <laughs> that would be, and I look, can I, you imagine? I, I don't even, my phone is hot. I'm sure it's from how I'm getting killed on social media. But I, I, know, I know I'm right. If it were people like me whose kids were getting shot by cops, this would have ended a long time ago. Or never started. So, or never started, because people it just, look, I know people say, oh, well, white people get killed by cops. Well, yeah, well, if it's wrong, it's wrong. It doesn't matter what color they are. Mm -hmm. But if you look at what, what, what happens in the country, and it's not that, you know, people take videos. You've seen the videos of white people getting stopped by cops, running over them, dragging them down the street. Yesterday. And, and keeping, and, and still living. Yesterday, 60-year-old uh, white guy in Minnesota. Yes. They wound up taking him into custody. He looks yeah. fine. It's not like they beat him up. He it's, dragged the guy by his arm and beat him with his own safety hammer. And, and it's, not, it's not a perfect world. So not every single time, you know, it's going to be a black guy or whatever. Right. But, but when you look at most of the time and you look at the treatment between the way, the way police officers can and do treat people of color, especially black men, it's different. I have been with white people in the car and have gotten pulled over and they'll tell me, well, the police, they never talked to me that way. And I said, well, that's because you're white. And they never even thought about it, has never happened to them until they're with me and they see the way a police officer treats me. Not all of them. But there have been a number of them who do it. And oh, what, what does it take? What does it take for you to treat anyone, and I'm talking to police officers here, anyone of any ethnicity with respect? You're a public servant. I know it's a tough job, but you're a public servant. I, listen, after our talk last night, I had someone on uh, from Chicago who is a former member of the Chicago Police Department, a former detective. And the way we talked about what happened in Chicago, he feels completely opposite. The way we talked about it at the top of the show, he thinks it was not justified at all. He thinks the kid was complying. He thinks if you can't stand the heat, basically you should get out of the kitchen and that Chicago police had some of the best training in the world and there was no justification for what happened. So 
those, that's the world we're living in right now. So I wouldn't worry about social media because some people are going to agree with you and then the haters are going to hate. And so I don't, I don't even, I wouldn't even bother with it. No, I'm not bothered with it. I'm using it as just one of many metrics. Look, here's the problem. Chicago, they really don't even need the training. They get it on the job. That's one of the most violent places in the world uh, in terms of being a police officer. They call it Chirac for a reason what's going on in there. And people are right to point it out. That's an old thing. They don't do that now. That, that's well, old. They, they do it because they're looking for something new, not because the yeah. numbers have improved. Um, you know, I mean, look, they have real invested. I don't have to tell you, you live there. But, yeah. you know, getting rid of Cabrini Green only did so much. You have an invested gang culture. The states around it make it very easy as a state of opportunity to deliver guns, even though the laws within that state are tough. And they're real problems. But at the end of the day, it all goes back to the same thing. If you don't identify with the person on the other side of the situation, yeah. there's always going to be trouble. Well, two things what you said. Um, yeah, they have some of the strictest gun laws, but the places around them yeah, don't. Don't. Yeah. And so they're a major metropolitan city. And so when you look, look crime is going to be, you're going to have more crime just because there are more people, just like you'd have more crime in New York City than you'd have in one of the suburbs. It's just, that, that's just how it is uh, for sheer numbers. But Listen, the, the gun laws are lax. There's a, lo- a lot of a lot of there are a lot of things and systems that failed uh, Chicago. And so it's easy to, you know, I think for people, I'm not saying that you are to blame it on one thing. It's a gang. It's a guns. It's all this is a lot. Society failed Chicago a long time ago, putting people into housing projects, just kind of storing them and then treating them like crap, not treating them as human. So there's a there's a there's a history um, of of impropriety, if you will, or of wrongdoing uh, in Chicago, as there are in many other cities. But Chicago, I have to tell you, I was surprised when I moved to Chicago. I thought Chicago Midwest was, you know, would be hunky-dory, the heartland. Chicago was one of the most racist cities I've ever lived in, probably the most racist. And I've lived in Birmingham, Alabama, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, St. Louis, Missouri, New York City, and by far, the most racist city I've ever lived in is Chicago, Illinois. How so? Because it's, it is one of the most um, um, segregated cities. I lived on the north side, the north, pretty much. I mean, again, this is a generalization. Uh, and polarized cities in the country. And listen, I think Dr. King said something very similar. Civil rights folks said something very similar about Chicago. Because they house people, number one, in housing projects and in certain neighborhoods. I lived on the north side of Chicago. I had no idea. I was moving from New York City, you know, which is New York City. I lived in, in Chelsea, and it's like everybody is everybody. And so I moved into the north side, into this, you know, kind of fun little Mies van der Rohe comp building or whatever, high-rise, twin towers. It was great. I was the only black person in my building besides the doorman. I had no idea because I'd never lived in Chicago. But Chicago is, look, the police there, it's an issue. Um, the white flight there was an issue. Uh, the civil rights movement never hit there as it did in the South, and, and people came up the, the, the Northern Corridor. It was just, it is, it, Chicago is not what you think it is. Now, now, is it a beautiful city? Absolutely. Are there amazing people there? Absolutely. Architecturally, one of the most beautiful places, cities in the country. And a lot of that's because of the fire, and it's new, and it's all mid-century, you know, Mies van der Rohe, and blah, 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 blah. So it's really, and, and the lake, it's stunning to look at. And to live in, in the middle of winter, I wouldn't want to do it again. Lake effect snow. Oh, it's so cold. But it is, I, it is one of the most racist cities I've ever lived in. The first, one of the first nights I was there, I got pulled over by a police officer, threw me up against the car, and I said, well, for what? And he said, and, welcome. I said, I just moved here. What, you, you have an out-of-state license. I said, I just moved here. He said, welcome to Chicago. First night. So.
There you go. That experience isn't going to help your perception um, of what it is. <laughs> the only thing I think that is simple, all the problems are complicated, yeah. which is a big reason they've lasted so long. But another reason they've lasted so long and they will endure is because there is one simple aspect to this. Yeah. If the majority comes to a point where they say this has to change, if that becomes the demand by the majority, then things change. Yeah. It's got to be white folks. That's the majority. That's it. And it's got to be white folks, and it can't be the people. You, we, we cannot have what happened during George Floyd's continue to happen. When you have a lot of people saying, oh my God, there's no excuse for that. Look, oh my God, he killed that guy. And then almost a year later, half of them have gone away and said, no, well, something must have happened. No, he was this. And, and the same piece of video. He's not who you told the us The same he was. information. It does, it does, it, none of that matters. That's a justification in your head to try to, to, try to explain away. You know, Van was happened. on and he says that there are many more awesome people than there are bad people in this country. Agreed. Um, but you know, the old expression, it only takes for evil to flourish is for good men to stand by and do nothing. And you look at what's happening on the right side of the aisle and you tell me that we are moving toward the majority starting to recognize the needs of the minority. I don't see it. They have the worst kind of people gaining power on that side of the aisle. Uh, their new America first caucus. It's getting scary over yeah. there. Well, let's just put it this way. In order for it to take root in the party, there has to be something about the party and the people who are in it and even the people who are running it and the people who are part of it to allow that. Because I don't think, and again, uh, as you and your social media, don't give me this Democrat, liberal thing, because I'm not, and I'm not, neither am I conservative. But that doesn't happen on, with Democrats. It happens with Republicans. You don't see racists and insurrectionists and white supremacists and Jews will not replace us, and blood and soil, you don't see that flourishing in the Democratic Party. Yes, because you guys are trying to replace the white people. Yeah. That's what they're selling. Well, I'm going to replace you right now. Goodbye. Don't talk to me. Talk to your buddy with the four names. The fop over on Fox. He's the one selling it. I'm going to pay the price for it. I love you, d I mean, I've got to get my show. You've got to get rid of you. Thank you. I'll see you. I'll see you this weekend, as a matter of fact. Have a good one. I'll see you. I love you as well. This is now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.